Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, everybody. Let me tell you about voting by mail. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote-by-mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote-by-mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So visit votemailchicago.com. That's votemailchicago.com for call scripts and a petition. One more time. Vote. V-O-T-E. Mail. M-A-I-L. Chicago. C-H-I-C-H-E-O. Dot com to make sure that every voter in Cook County has safe and equitable polling. That's correct. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Discover more about our wondrous, world-class city at the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Plan your staycation exploring two floors of awe-inspiring exhibits, from our interactive city models to skyscrapers that change the world, and learn about the fascinating stories behind the fabulous facades. Book your tickets today at architecture.org. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. As promised, young Dave Glowatz has joined me for another uh, scintillating analysis of the uh, Chicago City Council. This has become a very popular feature on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Dave Glowatz, welcome back to our show. Thanks for having me back. I always enjoy it. Yes. And uh, so tell people everything they need to know about you before we take a deeper dive so I don't screw up any IDs. Okay, go ahead. I report on local government and folks can find my work at the Inside Chicago Government website, that's chigov.com. On Facebook, go to facebook.com slash insidegov. And on your Twitter feed, look for at chigovt. And usually I'm looking at uh, things having to do with municipal operations, um, uh, the city council, um, city departments, things of that nature. And I say this with all due respect and admiration and love for young David Glowetz, a total geek when it comes to Chicago city government. He takes the deep dive. He's not afraid to understand what tips are. He's not afraid to pick apart a budget and he's not afraid to sit through hours of city council meetings on virtual meetings, I should say, on Zoom. Fear is uh, one of the, the least things one has to worry about sitting through council, city council meetings. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes it gets a little tedious at the outset, but once they kick into gear, uh, it's very interesting and fascinating, and it shows you how your city operates. So with no further ado, I turn it over to you, Dave, and uh, talk about the city council meeting that took place last 
Wednesday. Am I correct about that? Last it Wednesday, was, right? It was July 22. And okay. it took, started at 10 a.m. And as you say, it was a video conference meeting. I don't know if or when we'll ever we'll see live meetings again in the council chamber. I know that other cities have reverted to that. But, you know, we get a lot of aldermen. We got 50 of them. It's hard to. Yeah, they probably have to move it to like uh, an arena. Wintrust Arena. Why not? Wintr- yeah. Built with public dollars. What the hell? for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, um, that'll, this council meeting lasted about four hours, a little shy, a little shy of four hours. That's been about average recently. And later on, we'll get into uh, why it could have lasted. Maybe it could have been a little shorter. But one of the first things I want to talk about is a rather um, controversial ordinance that was passed by the council and it passed 35 to 14 so as we've spoken of in the past that that is a rather you know for this city council a rather lopsided vote mm-hmm. and the ordinance that we're going to be talking about is called uh, is referred to as the fair notice ordinance and for those keeping score at home that's so 2062 and this um, applies to the notice that landlords get, must give tenants when they're asking tenants to leave their apartment. Uh, up until this ordinance was passed, that amount of notice was 30 days flat for all tenants. After this ordinance was passed, it's the same for tenants who have been living in their apartment for six months or less. But what has changed, if one has lived in one's apartment more than six months and three years or less, then the notice has been boosted to 60 days. And the thinking is that there's a lot of people who are really hurting financially now during the pandemic, and it's hard for people to find the money to continue to find places to live when landlords want to kick them out. There's one more provision that if one has been living in one's apartment for more than three years, the notice is boosted to 120 days or four months. So that's kind of what's been controversial about that. And we're, first, we're going we're gonna to listen to a couple clips. Um, these are, are um, compendiums that I've put together. And I'm going to spoil this for everyone by telling you that the first set of clips is going to be from aldermen who are opposing this ordinance and then we're going to listen to a round of aldermen who were arguing for the ordinance and let's listen first to the aldermen opposed item number seven is a substitute ordinance which is known as the fair notice ordinance which extends notice that landlords must provide tenants when increasing rent or for non-renewal of leases i am concerned because this place is yet another undue burden on the small unit owners. They own the two flats and three flats. Landlords who are not big developers. We are shifting the burden on individuals who are in no position to afford carrying a greater burden when their renters do not meet their obligations. We are exacerbating a crisis for the owners. We will have a foreclosure crisis on these units if we continue with policies like this that do not incorporate some sort of relief for those small unit building owners. We're just destroying the small guy. They get a bad tenant in there. It not only hurts them, it hurts the other two or three or whatever amount of people that are in that building. There's a thing out there called cash for keys. My dismay, I guess a lot of my colleagues never heard of that, but cash for keys is you get these bad tenants. It takes you forever to get rid of them. So you'll give them money. You'll say, here's five grand, here's 10 grand, just leave. This way you don't have to worry about them destroying the place or losing even more rent for six months, nine months further. Alderman Riley. This is one of those not so regular occasions where I do agree with Alderman Ray Lopez. I also have a number of residents in my ward who have a studio apartment that they rent out as an income property. These are not multimillionaires driving around in Rolls Royces. These are regular working people that were able to sock away savings to buy an investment property like a studio or a one bedroom without recognizing the mortgage obligations many of these small landlords have. We could inadvertently be forcing foreclosures on folks that are otherwise providing space for tenants to live. 
I agree 30 days is not enough. That is unconscionable. That's not enough notice. But 120 days is excessive. It is too long. A compromise in 90 days was presented for this. That is reasonable. That is appropriate. And if we were talking about that, I would be in support of this, but we're not. 120 days is excessive, and this is not fair and balanced, and I will be voting no. Alderman Dow. 90 days notice instead of 120 days notice to any tenant is more than sufficient. And I think that adding 120 days to this ordinance is unreasonable. Alderman Cardenas. I'm going to be voting yes, but I'll be the first one to start rescinding if we see patterns of abuse. And I'll be able to see that because people are going to come by me asking help and evicting people that are abusing this practice. So just to sum up, there are basically two arguments that we heard. One is that the owners of small buildings, like two flats or three flats, might be jeopardized because they don't have a lot of income. And if uh, they can't get a non-paying tenant out of there uh, quickly, like in 30 days, then they might be screwed financially. And the other argument that we heard is that, well, giving somebody four months and just like, well, that's crazy talk. <laughs> so, so, so what do you think of that, Ben? Well, oh, we're going to hear the Dennis, we're we're gonna hear the other side, right? Yeah. yeah we're going to do tenant yes next. But, but, but your, your reactions. Well, I'd love to hear the other side before I uh, launch into my, uh, my reactions, other than to say this. Uh, you know, I've been following the city council for a long time, and uh, the more I hear these debates, the more they echo debates that have been going on in the city council forever. And every time there's any kind of ordinance that's intended to protect renters, invariably some alderman will get up uh, to declare his or her support for small tenants, I mean, uh, uh, small apartment owners in that, you know, like the two flats and the ma and the pa's. And they're never looking out for like the big time corporations that own apartments all over the city. Dave, you ever notice that? Well, I'm really looking out for just the bungalow guy, you know, as the, the person upstairs. And I and would listen to Ray Lopez and Nick Spazzato and Pat Dow. I'm like, oh, my God, Bernie Stone, you live. Bernie Terrace, you're st-. anyway, so. Uh, I just, that was my initial thought listening to those uh, aldermen. It's like, how much has remained the same in the city of Chicago when it comes to city council debates? And it's it's interesting how many people were um, very vociferous about this and in a very articulate way. Um, and we're going to hear um, maybe that some of their arguments don't really hold water. And let's hear from the aldermen who say that they were for this. Alderman Sitcho Lopez. Precisely what Alderman Lopez is mentioning was one of the issues that we agree on to make sure that we have a working group so that we can differentiate the small homeowners versus the big developers. We have a commitment from the housing chair to make sure that we have a working group to discuss precisely that, how we're going to ensure that we don't put extra burden on small homeowners. This ordinance in particular, what it does is to do something that is common sense. We right now, when we face a huge crisis, an unprecedented situation where we can be facing thousands of evictions that are being filed right now, this is not about pitching tenants against homeowners. This is about drafting good policy to make sure that we prevent the harshest thing that we can experience as a community that is evictions. Alderman Ramirez Rosa. We have to understand that because of the high rents that tenants pay all across the city, landlords have been able to keep up with rising property taxes, have been able to keep up with the maintenance of their buildings. And so this is an ecosystem where tenants are necessary and tenants are key for the survival and for the thriving nature of our neighborhoods. I want to say that this is the very minimum that we can do right now in this moment when we are facing possibly mass evictions in our city. I also want to say that the assumption that tenants are acting on bad faith is very disingenuous. 
In my experience, in my office, we have had so many people calling us, trying to figure out how they can get the resources to be able to pay their rent. People want to be able to pay their rent. Ottoman Lespada. We know in an average year, we see 23,000 evictions filed in the city of Chicago. 60% of those result in eviction orders. 79% of landlords have attorneys, as opposed to only 11% of their tenants. That is an average year, and we are heading into, we are in the middle of anything but an average year. Solomon King. I just want to correct some of the misconception on what this ordinance is. So first of all, all those folks who are talking about small units, two and three flats, this ordinance exempts those units from the right to cure. This ordinance really only gives those residents who have been living in a building for years more time if a landlord decides not to renew their leases. Something, you know, that I've seen in in my ward, literally, where I had mayor, a pastor that we both know, mother, given 30 days to leave their home that they've known for years. She had Alzheimer's. Landlords will still have the ability to, you know, in the first year and second year and third year, if they find a tenant to be not a good tenant, they will have all the recourses that they've already had. Well, Ben, where would you like to start? Well, I I had a feeling, Sophia King, uh, I, I would like to start with her. And it's a very important point that she made. Yeah. And I had a feeling that was the case. My memory of reading the article, that was the case, that there was an exemption. And this is what I'm saying. This, this, is, this just underscores the point I was making before. The same debates. They always exempt the, the mom-pa landlord. That's like standard in Chicago. And so what I was saying about Bernie Stone and Burton and Terrace, may they rest in peace, the great adversaries. I enjoyed debating them and having them insult me. Uh, not really enjoyed that, but they would always do the same thing. They would, in the case of Bert, he was so much a sort of a representative of downtown Uh, commercial real estate interests. But he would never come out and say, you know, I'm looking out for the uh, downtown landlord who hires Michael Madigan to handle his property taxes or Ed Burke to handle his property taxes. I'm looking out for, you know, Billy and Mary and and they're too flat. And, and, And they're always exempted, but they're always getting looked out for. So, Dave, I've always thought this was a very disingenuous argument when it was advanced back in the 80s and the 90s uh, on the part of uh, machine aldermen who were standing up for the real estate industry. And it's, it's every bit as disingenuous today uh, when it's when I hear it advanced uh, by, you know, Ray Lopez, who I love dearly, and uh, my good friend Nick Spazzato and all the other ones who are uh, saying they're looking out for the small business person. Well, disingenuous perhaps is the wrong word. How about just incorrect? I mean, <laughs> I'm looking at, I have the ordinance right here. Okay. Oh, I love it when you pull out the ordinance. And it says, right in the ordinance, it says, rental of the following dwelling units shall not be governed by this. And it says, dwelling units and owner-occupied premises containing six units or fewer. I mean, it says it right on the first page. So I want to know is, my question for Alderman Lopez and Alderman Spazzato and Alderman Riley, did they not read it or are they... Or there is or there some other motivation, you know, if they did read it and they know that it doesn't apply to these small building owners, what motivates them to make this argument? I don't know. It's a great question. And I had Raylo on last week. We didn't dis- we did not discuss this particular uh, ordinance. Uh, the, the mayor's response to uh, the unrest at the end of uh, May, right after um, uh, George Floyd's murder. So I did not get a chance to ask him that. And it's the same question that could be applied to every single alderman who has ever stood up in the city council saying he or she is looking out for a group of people who are exempted from the ordinance that they presumably are defending them against. Uh, I Are they... 
just ignorant? Are they willfully ignorant? Uh, are they serving this larger purpose? They uh, like the real estate industry doesn't want any kind of provision passed in the Chicago City Council just as a matter of principle because it's a slippery slope. You pass this, and then you're going to ask for something else. So. I, I really I can't answer your question. Uh, now, I, I have a question for you. During the debate, did Lori Lightfoot, did Mayor Lightfoot step in at any point and correct the alderman? Because in the past, you've played uh, uh, exchanges where Lori Lightfoot would come in and say, you're wrong or you got it wrong. You know what I mean? She would make an attempt to uh, educate them. Was there anything like that in the, the exchanges at this last meeting? She generally doesn't, I've noticed, like to do that. In fact, when she does that, she calls herself out uh, and says things to the effect of, I don't normally inject myself into this thing, but I have to say something. <clears throat> In fact, we're going to hear something later just like that. Yeah. Um, she follows protocol, which is to allow the committee chairs to address things that because these things are happening in the context, mind you, of committee reports. Yeah. And this particular committee is the Committee on um, Housing and uh, Forgetting Now. Housing and... Who, who, who's the chair of this particular uh, committee? This is Alderman Harry Osterman of the 48th Ward, and okay. it's called the Committee on Housing and Real Estate. All right. Aptly named. So, no, to answer your question, Mayor Lightfoot did not. All right. So she picks and chooses when she intervenes. I don't know why she chose not to intervene here. I understand she doesn't want to do it, and she always apologizes when she does it. But as we're going to hear, she does it frequently. And well, you some- know, another another thing that she uh, allowed that we have heard in past city council wrap-ups that she has uh, not been happy about is she allowed debate during, for you know, for this measure. Whereas in the past, you might recall that uh, for one, Alderman Brian Hopkins of the second ward has said, you know, point of order, you know, the time for such debate is during yes. committee meetings, you know. But this was, you know, really, it was a back and forth. You know, I, I compiled the fors and against, but in the actual meeting, there there was, it was going back and forth. And, of course, we heard Alderman King say, Time out, folks. You're wrong about this. I know, no. It, uh, and, uh, and I will I'll say this. I disagreed with the notion that you can't have debate. Remember when the last time we had this discussion? Yeah. So I'm glad they've, obviously, they're, they're listeners of our show, and they just said, you know what? <laughs> ben and Dave were right. Let's uh, allow some debate. Uh, and uh, so but let me just uh, point something out for listeners that uh, long-time listeners of our show know, but I'll do it anyway. Um, committeemen... Uh, excuse me, chairs serve uh, as a, the mayor controls who is a chair of a committee. I know you're supposed to have uh, a check and a balance, but the way it works in Chicago, the mayor essentially dictates who the committee chairs are. So the committee chairs are her loyalists. And as such, you're not going to get a bill out of committee in all likelihood that gets us delivered by the committee to the council unless the mayor has already signed on to it in all likelihood there may be an exception that happens in which case i'll be astounded but you don't get to be uh the chair of a committee if you're an opponent of the mayor or if you allow yourself to speak out against the mayor so the fact that harry osterman introduces this dave and that it's uh, held up having debate means that the mayor has signed off on it already and I would find it really unlikely that any mayor would allow such a measure to go through without an exemption for the so-called uh, mom-pa landlords. You follow what I'm saying? And, one, uh, one more point about that is that um, a lot of the discussion, a lot of the comments by Alderman were to thank the mayor for allowing this to go through because it was stalled for quite a while over this like 120 day provision and um so this this perhaps is a uh, an indication of the amount of behind the scenes work that so-called progressive alderman did and the degree to which the um mayor uh, mayoral administration you know did some uh 
some give and take. Well, shall and we be- move on? Yeah, before we move on, I just want to make one last point that underscores all of this. We're going to see the same arguments, sort of arguments in the fair tax proposal that is coming out. Uh, we're going to have a referendum. As voters, we get to determine whether to raise the rates, uh, the income the, the income tax rates on the highest uh, earners in the state of Illinois. And I guarantee you're already hearing it. The Chamber of Commerce, the anti-fair tax uh, activists, proponents, if you will, are already saying they're doing this to protect tax increases on the middle class and working class. It's exact, it's a replica of what we're hearing uh, in this council debate. In fact, the the uh, fair tax will prevent tax hikes on working class and middle class people and put the burden on the wealthiest. But you can never argue, Dave, that, well, I'm standing up on behalf of the richest, wealthiest people in the state. No, 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 you always have to hide behind the middle class. And that's exactly, that's exactly what my dear friends, Ray Lopez uh, and Nick Spisato, and who else? Oh, Brendan Riley. You know, Riley. Yeah, look at, looking out for that little guy the, who has, what, what, what was it? It, was, uh, uh, it wasn't even a one bedroom. It, he's renting out his. Um, Riley uh, talked about people who made the investment in a studio apartment. Studio. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the like studio. The simplest oh, and like, like. <laughs> the most extreme example. I'm telling you right now, everybody, never once in the history of the city of Chicago, hey, they looked out for the interest of studio apartment owners <laughs> over large landlords. Just saying that, as soon as you hear an alderman going, I'm really concerned about the studio apartment owner, you know he's up to no good. All right, so Dennis, we're going to do landmark next. Um, so this, the next measure we're going to talk about, Ben, is something that actually was not passed. Um, it's something that was delayed. Um, and there was another ordinance introduced to cause an ordinance to be delayed. And let me explain. Back in May 2019, over a year ago, the Chicago Landmarks Commission approved the creation of a historic landmark district in Pilsen. And this district would cover somewhere between 800 and 900 buildings. And the way a landmark district works in Chicago is one of the first steps is the commission uh, decides that, yep, this is an appropriate place. It meets the criteria for historic landmark. And then it goes to the city council for codification. Well, that has to happen within one year of the commission doing that. Now, do you remember what happened in May of 2019 in terms of city government? May of uh, 2019, uh, Lori Lightfoot became mayor of the city of Chicago. As well as a bunch of aldermen. Yeah, well, it turns out that this particular uh, landmark district was in the 25th Ward. Mm -hmm. And who was alderman up until May of 2019? Well, uh, actually, technically, the answer to your question is nobody. uh, Because I believe the the previous alderman, Alderman Danny Solis, was in the witness protection program. I don't know where he was. He was in hiding after it came out that he was wearing a wire on Ed Burke. And so there was really no one who Danny Solis stopped going to the city council meetings. All right. So I don't know if there was anybody you and I've had this debate uh, as to um, whether there was an alderman, because, as you recall, the alderman who was coming in, uh, we already played a quote for him. uh, Byron Sixer Lopez said he was against approving uh, the 78 TIF district. And he was really the closest thing you had to an alderman, but he hadn't been sworn in yet. The previous alderman, Danny Salif, as I said, had disappeared. Uh, So to answer your question, there was no alderman really uh, in April of 2019. Danny Salif was alderman in name only. Though my point in in bringing that up is we could surmise that this to the degree to which there was aldermanic involvement in the creation of this historic landmark district, it was under Solis and presumably had his, I don't know, blessing. So anyway, uh, going back to the uh, creation, as I said, that was in May of 2019, and the thing had to be approved by the city council within, within one year. So what happened is at the July 21st zoning uh, committee meeting, which was the day before this recent city council meeting, the planning department introduced a new ordinance 
which uh, for those keeping score is 02020-3993 that extended the time needed for city council, city council approval of the landmark district by six months. And the zoning committee approved that, went for the, before the city council the next day, which approved that delay. And we're going to hear from the aforementioned Alderman Byron Sixual Lopez of the 25th Ward reacting to that, and let's hear it. Page nine contains a direct introduction to the committee to permit the further consideration of a proposed Pilsen landmark district. I move passage of this item by the same motion if there is no objection. Chairman, hold on, hold on, sir. Please, we actually do things in an orderly fashion. I see your hand raised, I will call on you. The chair recognizes Alderman Sicho Lopez. Thank you, Madam Chair. And I do certainly hope that we do things in the council in an orderly fashion because that's not really what happened in this extension of that landmark proposal in the 25th Ward without consultation with my office. And that sets a horrible precedent in terms of how we want to engage our community with a due process. So I just want to make sure that it is unclear on record that I was forced with no option to vote on an extension that could have tremendous implications, especially for homeowners. The experiment that the administration tried to rush and to push in my community is simply unacceptable. To not be given even the choice to introduce a substitute, it is also reprehensible. After uh, multiple, multiple attempts to have a, a decent process concerns me. To have the administration back a plan that came from my predecessor, and we, know, we all know the scandals before me, but to have this almost force and impose on my community is not acceptable. The only reason why we could not kill this proposal is because of parliamentary maneuvering and the same shameful tax of the past. Those tactics, I hope that they're condemned and they're no longer part of our council. It is reprehensible to be blindsided. Not only my office was blindsided, but also my community and my stakeholders. 95% of my constituents signed affidavits seal affidavits against this proposal. Where's the democracy now? Right now we have seniors, low-income families who have to go in front of landmark commission and hire architects. We put 800 homeowners at risk because the responsibility of this administration. I'm no longer gonna accept those kind of practices, Madam Mayor. Thank you, sir. Alderman Lopez, you are very well aware and members of my administration spent countless hours trying to engage you. There was a robust community engagement process before you were elected, and that continued after you were elected. And as I well know, and you know, the committee chairman himself also spent a considerable time with you. The purpose of this six months extension is to allow for continued engagement, sir. This is not blindsiding. This is not anything other than trying to give you plenty of time and your community plenty of time to be heard instead of allowing this act to go into effect without any further discussion. I take great umbrage to the suggestion that you were blindsided or anyone in your community was given the enormous amount of time that Chairman Cox and other members of the Department of Planning as well as the chairman have spent with you. You may not be happy, but to suggest that somehow this was sprung on you is simply not correct. And the record clearly speaks otherwise. Chairman Tunney. I wanted to note for my committee members that the vote was unanimous, including Cicho Lopez, to extend this tolling ordinance. We spent, as you said, probably three hours on this one issue. Yeah, and I wanna, I wanna again, and I'm sorry, but I'm gonna have to clear the record. Alderman, you don't blurt out. We have rules of order. You raise your hand. I will recognize you. But please, sir, conduct yourself with a modicum. Since it's your second time to be heard on the same motion just today, in addition to the time that we spent on committee, I will grant you a short amount of time. And I'll be very brief because it's important to clarify the record. Yes, indeed, Mayor, there was a one-year process, one-year process, where we already decided in my community. You know, naturally, there was a decision to extend that and not give me any option. And your process was to give me days, two days. I was notified of this a Friday, and the vote was on Tuesday. 
You may have been missing some of the briefings, so I hope that the Commissioner Cox tells you a little bit about the process. A year process and a six-month extension, where low-income residents and homeowners now have to spend six more months in front of the Landmark Commission. I want to point out a couple of things that Alderman Sixto Lopez said. One is that he said that 95% of his constituents signed affidavits opposing this landmark district. If true, that is a pretty remarkable uh, community uh, consensus on opposing this thing. And then secondly, uh, he talked about the fact that he was given notice of this extension ordinance, in other words, to continue contemplation of the landmark district uh, on a Friday when the zoning committee meeting, which was considering this, was the following Monday. So he said he got two days. So those are both pretty remarkable things. And I also just as a point of detail that uh, this is the, the relevant committee is the Committee on Zoning and Landmarks, which is chaired by Alderman. Tom Tunney of the 44th Ward, who we heard speaking there a little bit. So, Ben, what do you think? Hi, many. Uh, this, this is an old-fashioned neighborhood news type story that I wrote all the time in the 90s. Uh, I was really impassioned by the debate over landmark districts and landmarking in general. Uh, this also has overtures about aldermanic prerogative, a favorite topic of, of the two of us when we get together on this show. And also, let's just point out, <laughs> you just got finished saying the Mayor Lori Lightfoot doesn't want to intervene. Uh, and here is a classic case of Mayor Lori Lightfoot intervening that's classic uh lori lightfoot uh you, you want to make a point i, I just want, want to say that i edited it out because it was kind of a long clip i yeah. took out the part where she said i normally don't <laughs> but, but she asked she asked chairman tunney if she may make a remark so well, she we didn't in fact say that we uh okay for the record let the record stipulate <laughs> that uh, uh we have uh, dennis has this bit that he loves to to play uh where uh, mayor Lori lightfoot is uh, talking about cars i'll take your car i'll shut your car down and she goes on these riffs and it's just like she really reminds me of mayor richard m daly in so many ways more she reminds me so much more of uh, richard m daly than she does of rom and i think that speaks to her popularity. People in this uh, city loved Richard Daly, and I think they love Lori Lightfoot. Uh, I, Chicagoans find something endearing about a mayor who lectures them and gets frustrated. Oh, Dennis wants to play. Why don't we play it? Listen to it. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to make you walk home. <laughs> That's with Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I'm gonna make you walk home. You know, I can't I, even remember what the drivers were doing. They got her so mad. Just, this, this had to do with people uh, paying attention to COVID-19 precautions. And I uh, must confess, I have read that multiple times, but I've never heard it. Oh, what her saying? She's gonna yeah, take yeah. the car. Yeah, and make I've, you walk I've read home. the whole quote. All right, they're coming from bars or whatever. Okay, yeah. so. So going back, I wish she had taken the opportunity to chastise the aldermen where they were just blatantly and willfully uh, being ignorant about the terms of that uh, tenant protection uh, bill that they passed. Remember where they said they're looking out to protect owners of two flats when two flats are exempted uh, from the bill. I wish she had spoke. I wish we had seen that Lori Lightfoot going, if you continue to misrepresent the facts on this bill, I'm going to take your car and I'm going to sell it to the city pound. Well, it's uh -oh. a slightly different um, point in that Cynthia Lopez was accusing the administration of blindsiding him. Whereas in the previous example, um, aldermen were just getting... They were being willfully ignorant about a piece of legislation that Lori Lightfoot helped create. And you would think she would put a stand up for the legislation that she created and supported as much as she wanted to stand up for her hurt feelings. Listen, she's got something personal against Byron Sexual Lopez. We all know it. He irritates the hell out of her. Probably not as much as Raylo, but right there... Uh... <laughs> so so what yeah. I want to know is... What is really well, going on? Well, that is a great question. Wait, wait, hang on, hang on a second. 
Sixto Lopez claims that he was blindsided because he got a copy of this extension ordinance a couple days before the committee meeting, whereas Lightfoot is pretty adamant that, you know, that her choice of words was interesting, too. She said, our, our um, uh, commissioner, the planning commissioner, Maurice Cox, worked to make contact with you, like spent time trying to make contact with you. Her exact words were not were not working with you, but trying to work with you, you yeah. know? So is it that Sigil Lopez actually was, 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 was the planning department running around him? Or is it that he is email challenged, they didn't get the memos or the messages saying, hey, can we talk, you know? And one relevant point, if I just add one more thing, Ben, is that I have spoken to other aldermen who say that is the the former is their experience with the planning department because the planning department uh, under the Lightfoot administration created a sort of distributed regional as opposed to centralized mm-hmm. planning effort where they assigned particular planners to, to work within communities so they could sort of customize their planning. And I talked to, well, for one, Ninth Ward Alderman Anthony Beal, who said, you know, when um, there, the city was looking to create a special investment zone on South Michigan Avenue near Pullman, he said, well, yeah, the Commissioner Cox talked with me, and then he, he seemed to go off and do, the planning department seemed to go off and do whatever the heck they wanted. They didn't talk to me again. Well, there's a lot of issues here, and uh, to the point you just raised, Lori Lightfoot and her administration made clear way back when in May of 2019 that alderman and prerogative was a thing of the past. And so in this particular instance, the notion that a landmark district of the size of the one that's proposed for the 25th Ward, with the impact that would have on property owners in that ward, the notion that that could advance this far without the alderman being directly involved, holding hearings, working uh, in the holding hearings in the community, working with planning department officials, it would be preposterous in the old days. So to the point that Anthony Beal was making and Byron Sixel Lopez has, has made, he's come on the show and has said the same thing, uh, Dave, that, that you're saying now, there is a new day uh, for better or for worse, I believe worse in, in Chicago, where there is not as much direct involvement uh, between the planning department and the local aldermen. We've heard that countless times. That's a theme that has come up time and time again with the, uh, uh, with the declaration that aldermen and prerogative is over. So that's a constant theme. Uh, there's two issues here. One is the substantive issue and one is sort of the procedural issue. The procedural issue has to do with did he get enough, did Cisha Lopez get enough notice? Uh, was he brought in uh, enough? Was the community represented? Is there transparency, etc.? And then there's a the substantive note, uh, uh, issue. Like, what is the impact of such a landmark commission on homeowners, on property owners? They just got finished. We just heard this uh, debate where they were say they were looking out for the interests of two flats and three flat owners, the ma and pa, right? Well, I was wondering, where was where were the advocates for just ordinary homeowners in Pilsen uh, when you put a landmark district uh, in a uh, residential area like this, you limit what property owners can do with their property. You also may limit the amount of money that you could sell. If, if there's a landmark ordinance that prohibits you from tearing down your property, you can't do teardowns and build up uh, bigger units. So, And as Sixto Lopez pointed out, if you want to make a change, you've got to perhaps hire an architect to make sure that it conforms to the landmark requirements of, you know, say, you know, your facade. So it, it adds expense uh, to your point to the, um, to the, to the homeowners. Well, should we move yeah. on? Yes, let's move on. Dennis, we're going to do database next. Um, one of the things that happened during the city council meeting, which happens quite often is the finance committee makes recommendations to the council to approve settlements that the law department wants to make with people who have sued the city. And there was a particular settlement that came up, which is um, the case of a gentleman named Charles Green, who sued the Chicago Police Department, alleging that he was sentenced to life in prison based on a coerced confession. And the law department came up with a $500,000 settlement 
Um, but during the course of this settlement, one of the, during the course of this lawsuit, one of the things that Green wanted is he wanted records from the police department showing the um, discipline history of officers who were involved. And it looked like the settlement was going to be, if he reached the settlement with the city such that um, there was no finding of fault by either party, that um, the city would uh, essentially say that, oh, we don't have to release these disciplinary records. At the same time, there is there was recently a court decision that um, a number of parties were bringing uh, against this, uh, about the suit that a number of parties were bringing against the city to cause the city to not destroy police disciplinary records, which is something that is required by the police officer union, the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge 7 contract. It says that disciplinary records of police officers older than five years must be destroyed. And so it was a pretty big deal that this court decided that, nope, those must be retained and um, then should be made public because they're not currently unless you ask for uh, stuff directly. So what we're going to hear now is we're going to hear a report by the Finance Committee Chair, Alderman Scott Wagaspak of the 32nd Ward, who is going to talk about what they're going to do around this settlement with Green. And let's hear what he had to say. Item number four consists of two orders authorizing Corporation and Council to enter into and execute a settlement in the cases of Manuel Barrios, that's 4A, and 4B, Charles Green. I will be separating the votes on 4A and B. For item 4B, this matter will be held in committee. Madam President, thank you for speaking with me earlier. I wish to point out that you are giving Alderman more time to read the documents for us to address this matter and for the ordinance that I did send to all of my colleagues last night regarding the public database of CR's creation to be discussed. I think it will allow time to read the ordinance for this public database and prepare for discussions on it at the earliest possible date and hopeful passage this fall. So I imagine what uh Chairman Wagaspeck was talking about this ordinance for a public database was a surprise to anyone who wasn't an alderman or maybe some of the aldermen who had got an email from him at midnight the night before, just speculating here. And the um, ordinance he's talking about is 02020-3999. And it provides for the development of a public database showing closed or, or old complaints against police officers. And he says that, uh, Wagaspec says that he circulated it to Alderman. And it was this ordinance, uh, if we look online, we'll see it's sponsored by him and by the chairman of the Public Safety Committee, Alderman Chris Talafiero of the 29th Ward. Um, so apparently the city is decided that it is not going to try to pull a fast one and limit access to these records of police complaints. In fact, what essentially Wagaspeg is announcing is that he is proposing and Telefiero is proposing that there's actually a database built that's uh, online that people can publicly access to get these records. I'll make one more point, Ben, is that there actually already is an online repository of this stuff, and it's privately run by an outfit called the Invisible Institute. They, they call themselves a, a journalism lab of sorts. And they have what they call the Citizens Police Data Project, where they actually did Freedom of Information Act requests for uh, police complaint records going back a number of years. And they stuck it all in a database. And our listeners can go to cpdp.co and look up a police officer's name and see what their disciplinary record. In fact, there was a, uh, a protest at police headquarters I was reading a couple days ago where the activists, there was a line of cops uh, in front of the building because the activists were doing a demonstration in front of the building. And so some of the activists were going up to cops, reading their names on their badges and in real time looking up their disciplinary records yeah. on the website and, uh, and, and reading them out loud to the crowd. So that's kind of interesting. 
Yeah, uh, Maya Tukmasova did a, a deep dive on this. Uh, was it last Tuesday, right, D? Uh, last Tuesday. I urge everybody, if you wanted to really get all the ins and outs of this, to check that out because she really did the deep dive on it. And at the t- this is the day before the city council meeting. Uh, and so she was very skeptical that Scott Wagesback was going to get it together to have this database ready to go in time for the city council to vote on it. Uh, and she was questioning that it looked, she was wondering whether the city was just trying to try to uh, sneak something past everybody, but not having the database, promising to institute it at some future time and pushing for the settlement. Uh, so. Uh, it looks like Maya's going to have to send uh, a letter of apology to young Scott, at least for the moment. I think uh, she should take him to a steakhouse. Yeah, she should take, or maybe he should take her to the steakhouse uh, because he, he listened to her and decided, you know, Maya's making a very good point about this. Uh, and But, yes, you're, you're, you know, when you were talking, I was thinking about those young activists who were essentially uh, taunting the police with their own records, which they were accessing. So the material is already there, as you pointed out, to a certain degree. It's just not, would not be an official city website. I don't well, know if it's it, also not updated. So yeah, I was going to say, it would it be updated on a regular basis? Yeah, the Invisible uh, Institute just got, we got a, essentially a snapshot. Yeah. And that's what's in the data. So listen, this struggle, this ongoing struggle to deal with age-old issues of police abuse in largely black communities. Uh, It's going to be with us. The pandemic will be over. We will have a a shot for the pandemic, and it's still be going on. Uh, Dave, this is just part of the the, the DNA in the city of Chicago, and this is part of that, uh, that ongoing struggle. And it's very upsetting to police officers that their records would be uh, available to the public. Uh, they think it could be misleading in many instances. Uh, and it's equally frustrating uh, to many residents of the city of Chicago that the city is uh, that has an agreement with uh, the Fraternal Order Police to conceal many of these records. So it's going to have to, I don't know if it's going to get resolved uh, in negotiations. My guess, no. It'll be resolved, uh, Dave, in lawsuits like this. But you should really check out Maya's interview. I urge everybody, if you really want to take the deep dive, because the city kind of stumbled here uh, in in some ways, and that is part of the reason why uh, Charles Green and his lawyers were able to prevail uh, in this particular suit. And I should point out on the city clerk's website that gives that does all the tracking of legislation for this particular ordinance for the public database of police complaints. Uh, it's shown that it will be introduced in September. So uh, Ragusbeck is giving himself a little breathing room there. As we speak, Scott's typing away in his basement. <laughs> uh, Dennis, we're going to do Tiffany next. Well, this last bit I have doesn't really have much, it doesn't have to do directly with uh, legislation, but it's, uh, it's an interesting insight into how the city works. And what happened was towards the end of the meeting, the mayor announced that someone in the mayor's office was leaving the employment of city government. And this woman's name is Tiffany Sostrin, S-O-S-T-R-I-N. And she's listed in city records, because I looked it up, as an assistant director in the mayor's office. And she works for a part of the mayor's office called IGA, or Intergovernmental Affairs. And uh, for the purposes of helping me set this up, Ben, might you tell our listeners how IGA became infamous during the daily administration? Oh, my goodness. Were we doing the show, our old uh, podcast, when that... uh, uh, I think it was after that. It was right after, yeah, the uh, Mayor Daly... Mayor Daly's office, inner office of advisors. Intergovernmental uh, affairs. Yeah, well, no, but I'm, it went beyond them. But anyway, oh. uh, they were doctoring uh, the uh, application records uh, of people who were seeking employment of the city so that the favored few uh, who had been recommended by the uh, the inside sources would get the, uh, the, the first shot at the jobs. It was one of the many scandals of that particular well, of the daily of the daily uh, era uh, as a whole, but between 2003 and 2007 was one of the most corrupt four years uh, 
I would say in the last 50 years of the city of Chicago, there were so many, like there was um, lawsuits having to do with the Duffs. I don't even remember that one, but that was a, a minority front scandal. Uh, there was the hired truck scandal. So uh, anyway, yeah, this is the one where the mayor's aides were um, doctoring the, the uh, employment process to make sure that the clouded few got the jobs. So under that sort of um, uh, set of circumstances, the Intergovernmental Affairs Department was kind of the, uh, I don't know, the clot of clout, perhaps you could call it, so that if people wanted, as I recall, to, if an alderman, for example, wanted to make sure that, you know, their sister-in-law's brother needed a job, they would call call up IHA and say, you know, can you make sure, you know, this this happens? And a couple, one or, or more people who worked for IGA actually went to prison because of this corruption. So fast forward to 2020, and we still have that department, IGA, and they are responsible for doing things like negotiating on the part of the administration with um, city council to sort of liaise, if you will, with the city council and with other non-city of Chicago entities like the Board of Education and Park District. So what we're going to hear is um, the mayor announcing that this woman, Ms. Sostrin, was leaving city employees. She's actually going to the Park District. And that prompted a whole bunch of um, accolades by the aldermen. And let's hear it. I want to recognize somebody that I know Many of you know well and work with, and that's Tiffany Sostra. This is her last city council meeting. She'll be moving on to bigger and better things. Uh, but we want to say thank you and give her a moment to say goodbye uh, to members of the council. Hi, everyone. It's been wonderful. I'll miss you. <laughs> Mayor, don't we get to say anything? This is Alderman Spasado. Yes, she no. <laughs> recognizes in order um, Alderman Taylor. I appreciate you putting your time and your energy into working with me, which I'm sure was not easy, but you are definitely going to be missed. Alderman Spasado. Tiffany, I think we can all can agree you're awesome. You're just a pleasure to work with. You're just a sweet gal, and you're always there for me. Alderman Lopez. Tiffany. It's a pleasure to know you professionally and personally. Alderman Haddon. Tiffany, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and work with you. Can't say enough great things. Alderman Vasquez. Tiffany, I want to thank you so much as a member that had just got into the council a little bit over a year ago, really being able to have conversations with you and, and to be thought partners, even when we don't agree on issues, was really appreciated. Alderman Lespada. Tiffany, it's just been a pleasure. You bring such kindness and generosity and warmth to this work, and it stinks that we're going to be losing you. I definitely appreciate you, appreciate the conversations that we've had. Tiffany, I don't know what I'm going to do with my evenings now that I will not be chatting with you or early in the morning. Tiffany, you're a great lawyer. And I was so thrilled when you joined the Lightfoot administration in a major role. You have been a tremendous leader. Tiffany, it, this is with a heavy heart. I don't know. I'm happy that you're going to a new role, but I'm also really sad. You've become my friend, my confidant, at times my rock this past year. I'm going to miss you. Tiffany, you are simply one of the best. Absolute pleasure to work with. Tiffany Sostrin is a person that has the professional credentials that the city needs. It's good to see that she's going over to the Park District, but I know that aldermen and staff will miss her greatly. Tiffany, uh, we've always been impressed. Reggie over here crying right now. He's going to miss you so much. You've been so helpful to our office over the years. Alderman Irvin. Tiffany, Tiffany, Tiffany. Oh, what fun we had. Alderman Dow. <laughs> I hope I can get through this, Tiffany. I think you have really blossomed in your role, and I'm glad the mayor tapped you for IGA. You're thoughtful, you're dedicated and straightforward, and we thank you for the encouragement that we were uncomfortable with. Thank you. Alderman Harris. Tiffany, my other little baby. I call you my little daughter. Alderman King. 
What I appreciated when you came to your new role in IGA is you remained very humble. Um, I appreciate your honesty, your directness, especially on difficult issues. Oh, Curtis. Tiffany, I told you, <laughs> talked about you leaving. I don't want to leave. Thank you, Tiffany. I always find you to be always very respectful and helpful. Tiffany, really want to thank you for your leadership over the last few months. I think we're doing this uh, tribute via Zoom, and I think you might have set up the first Zoom call with some of the aldermen. Tiffany, uh, I'm really going to miss the conversations, the late night conversations or the early evening conversations. I've had the pleasure of working in and around government for 25 years or so. And I've been fortunate to work with a lot of very talented people. Um, and I can tell you, you're towards the top of that list. Tiffany, as I reflect on being in office a little bit more than a year and knowing how much of that's been consumed by COVID and the sort of instrumental role you've played in literally helping to keep our, our government functioning, that work has been invaluable. So I know that was a little long, but it actually went on much longer. When would you care to venture a guess for how long they talked about Tiffany? Uh, I don't want to make it. I don't. I've never met Tiffany. I don't know Tiffany, but I bet it went on for an hour. An hour. All right, that is uh, generous. It, it was half an hour. Okay. Which, which is not a record, right? Because I don't know if you recall, uh, but when, but when uh, Hamilton closed, the, the theater play uh, Hamilton, I don't know if you remember that they did, they, they uh, <laughs> praised the lead actor who was at city council for 40 minutes. Okay. So uh, she didn't quite rate that. But uh, so, so think of some of the things that people said about her, like La Spada talked about her kindness and generosity and, Vasquez talked about that she's a she was a thought partner with him, and, and I thought, so this person is leaving the Lightfoot administration, which is already have arguably challenges with some of the aldermen in terms of, you know, feeling like they're collaborative. So it doesn't. It, I, I'm really curious, like why is she going and what what went on there? These are questions. I, I do not know. I. I uh... Listen, I don't pretend to be a follower of the Palace Guard, uh, and I never never was. I never uh, paid attention to this level, you know, of like who's in and who's out. Uh, you know, I would hear gossip from time to time, doing stories from various insiders, and half the time I wouldn't know who was who. Uh, when I Generally, my rule of thumb is like I try to see what interests are being served. So I'm not that concerned about who is literally the person uh, that is serving those interests. So, for instance, on that landlord, <laughs> go back to that landlord, which is so illustrative of so much in the city council, where they say uh, they're justifying a no vote, which will largely benefit, I don't know, Uh, well, it was a yes vote. Ultimately, it passed. But they were probably looking out for the best interests of large property owners, but they were saying they were doing it on behalf of the small property owners. So that's the kind of thing I'm concerned about. I have no idea. She sounds so valuable. Why are they letting really her go to the park district? And, and you and I are both. Maybe she said, I had enough. <laughs> I cannot take you. Maybe the other side is Tiffany telling them, I got to be up all night listening to you complain. I got to listen to this alderman, badmouth that alderman, and that alderman badmouth. So who knows what's going on? Maybe she said, I've had enough. And she's clearly having plenty of late night conversations, too. So Yeah, because they're uh, she's trying to round up the votes. Could you imagine the wonderful things that they would say about me and you if there was ever a resolution? We are going to now honor Mr. Bike and his sidekick, Ben Jarofsky, uh, Alderman Lopez. I just want to say Dave Glowatz is a wonderful guy. Uh, he's there for me at all times. Uh, one time my chain broke, and he actually got down and fixed the chain. His hands were dirty. Alderman Burke. Uh, Dave Glowatz, <laughs> great guy. I uh, went to Weber High School on the northwest side. Well, we, we, we know that many things are unpredictable in these days of post-COVID-19. <laughs> And uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if even that happened. Guy, really. But Ben, that's all I've got today.
All right. Well, that was very good. That was a nice little touch at the end because it gives people an idea. You know, we talk about a lot of times you're highlighting the contentious debates uh, that happen, and they are the most entertaining in many ways are the most illuminating. But if you really want to know what consumes so much of the time at a city council meeting, it's things like the tribute. to. And I, I'm going to just say I'm sure. I, she's a wonderful employee. So let us also praise Tiffany. Best of luck to you with the park district. I've never met you. I don't know you, but I wish you the best of luck. And now you won't have to be up late listening to Alderman complaints. So you're actually a lucky person. How about that, Dave? Did I say it well? Yeah. Want to guess what her salary is? Uh, uh, well, I was. I would say. Uh, I'll guess. All right. I'll say $150,000. You're a little high. Oh, well, that's not the first time someone's accused me of that. <laughs> it's legal now. 129000 I looked it oh, up. Oh, okay. Very good. Uh, that's a, a very healthy salary. One day I'll make that much money. All right. Tiffany, I'm sure you deserve it. Best of luck to you. And this man here, Dave Gloat, should be getting $129,000 a year for the outstanding work he does whenever he chronicles the city council's exploits. There won't be another meeting until September, did you say? I didn't say, but that's true. Okay, I thought you did say that. Uh, in fact, I think you did say that at one point. And you forgot that you said that. Well, well let's play the tape back. All right. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to make you walk home. That's Mayor Lori Lightfoot talking to Dave Kloatz one night. No, just kidding. But there will be committee meetings in August. There will be committee meetings. All right. Very good. Well, enjoy. Uh, you have two months off and then we'll reconvene. That's me with the gavel reconvening in September for another episode of your Chicago City Council in action. Hey, I just gave it a name. Uh, Dave, stay safe and sound. All right. I've enjoyed it. Thanks very much, Ben. And thanks, Dennis. That's Dave Goatz. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone. Hey, thanks for downloading that. And hey, you can also check out The Ben Jarofsky Show live Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. That's correct. <laughs>